0: Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the daily podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear, page by page. This is page 495. It's not about what makes a good story, I said. It's about what's true. True? She looked at me incredulously. This is just some old folk story. None of the places are real. None of the people are real. You might as well get offended at me for coming up with a new verse for Tinker Tanner. I could feel words rising in my throat, hot as a chimney fire. I swallowed down hard against them. Some stories are just stories, I agreed, but not this one. It's not your fault. There's no way you could have... Oh, well, thank you, she said bitingly. I'm so glad this isn't my fault. Fine, I said sharply. It is your fault. You should have done more research. What do you know about the research I did, she demanded. You haven't the slightest idea. I've been all over the world digging up pieces of this story. It was the same thing my father had done. He'd started writing a song about Lanra, but his research led him to the Chandrian. He'd spent years chasing down half-forgotten stories and digging up rumors. He wanted his song to tell the truth about them, and they had killed my entire troop to put an end to it. I looked down at the grass and thought about the secret I had kept for so long. I thought of the smell of blood and burning hair. I thought of rust and blue fire and the broken bodies of my parents. How could I explain something so huge and horrible? Where would I even begin? I could feel the secret deep inside me, huge and heavy as a stone. In the version of the story I heard, I said, touching the far edge of the secret, Lanra became one of the Chandrian. You should be careful. Some stories are dangerous. She stared at me for a long moment. The Chandrian? She said incredulously. Then she laughed. It was not her usual delighted laugh. This was sharp and full of derision. What kind of a child are you? I knew exactly how childish it made me sound. I felt myself flush, hot with embarrassment, my whole body suddenly prickling with sweat. I opened my mouth to speak, and it felt like cracking open the door of a furnace. I'm like a child? I spat. What do you know about anything, you stupid— I almost bit off the end of my tongue to keep from shouting the word whore. You think you know everything, don't you? She demanded. You've been to the university, so you think the rest of us are... Quit looking for excuses to be upset and listen to me! I snapped. The words poured out of me like molten iron. You're having a snit like a spoiled little girl. Don't you dare! She jabbed a finger at me. Don't talk to me like I'm... The end of the page. I'm Jeremy. I'm Jordana. I'm Nick. This
1: page makes me so upset! I don't want them to fight!
0: That's why I love it so much. This... This scene is so well written because A, we care about both these characters and their relationship and B, we know because we spent like a book and a half with them so far that Even though they are guarded with each other and they keep secrets from each other, they also have probably been more open and honest about their truest selves with with each other than they have been with anybody else. So of course, each of them has all the ammunition they need to hurt the other one in the places where it's going to hurt the most and feel the most raw and true and painful, right? And I also really love the way the the tension and the 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 feeling builds you and there's this ongoing metaphor of quotes quote Kvothe feeling like he's a furnace like he's tamping down his his anger and his his fear and his his nasty feelings his, his uh, shame uh, and it all just comes bubbling up like molten iron and and I know I've been talking a lot but there's one other thing that I really want to get out that I feel like we haven't covered yet which is that part of the reason that Quoth reacts so badly and so extremely is because he has been triggered, right? Like he is responding to his trauma. And this is really, really clear when he's when he thinks of the smell of blood and burning hair, which we've talked about before is almost like a metonymy for Quoth having like a a traumatic stress response, uh, thinking about the murder of his parents. And so what you brought up yesterday, Nick is like is totally right. Like he is on some level thinking if Denna goes too far down this road, the Chandrian will kill her, and the only other person in the world that I've ever loved this deeply will die again in the same way, and I can prevent it. Now, I don't think that that is consciously what he's thinking, but I think that it is like an undergirding motivation. Uh,
1: I absolutely agree. I want to jump in with a few things, but the first thing I want to do is just quickly. I know I've said this before, but I think it, it bears re-mentioning because it's, it's a really important thing to put out there that the word triggered has been like absolutely annihilated by, by bad actors, but it is a medical, a medical term. And it, it means this, uh, like to be medically triggered is to have a, a post-traumatic response to a thing. Um, And, you know, the, the word triggered is used very often now in like bullying or in memes, but it does have a serious and actual uh, medical use case. And that is the the way we use it. And it is the correct way to use it. Uh, the So Quoth, he is obviously not thinking straight, but he is trying and perhaps for the very first time to start talking about the Chandrian with Dena. And the thing he has always feared the most that would happen when he brings up the Chandry and happens is that he gets laughed at and called a child. Um, and Jeremy, you, you mentioned this, that they both know how to hurt the other person. And what is so great and tasty about this scene is that we know how much everything hurts, like, and we know that everything has been chosen to hurt the most like Denna. And this, this tells us something about how Dena actually sees Kvothe is that she does know that he's young and she, does know that he is self-conscious about his age. And so calling him a child here, I think is designed is not just like I'm derisively responding to your, you're being concerned about the Chandrian, but I'm also now uh, jabbing at you by calling you childish. And Kvothe responds in kind uh, by not quite saying the word whore, a, uh, a distinction that he has probably been, Uh, considering for a long time and has only recently been concerned or been confirmed to him uh, which is perhaps his version of like the most hurtful thing that he he knows about her Um, I do think that all all things being equal Kvothe is being more unreasonable but the fact is that he has been triggered and so he is not responding in in a rational way but all things being equal like I think Denna's grievances in this argument are far more legitimate than Quoth's grievances. He's just lashing out whereas she is like kind of justified in saying you have no business torpedoing my story because you're concerned about it being like a true story or the boogeyman being in it. And if they were in other circumstances or if they had, you know, shared the proper things ahead of time, then maybe Quoth could bring up the context, but it's too late for that.
0: Yeah. I was going to say like him, him opening up about the Chandrian is like his last ditch effort to stay calm and try to like reason his way through this conversation and pull them, pull them both back from the brink of having this ugly, ugly fight that they have. And as you said, like the iron, the dramatic irony of course is that, you know, she's like, because he's like the only person in the world who thinks the Chandrian are real, who like has seen them. She's like, you want me to like torpedo this story that I've been spending months on, uh, because of like a fairy story? Like, wh- are you nuts? And I don't think she even believes that's the reason, right? Because it's so unbelievable. She's like, that can't be why you actually. That can't be what's actually going on here. What's actually going on here, as she elaborates on in future pages, is like you're trying to control me, right? Because she she literally cannot believe. Which is her deepest fear about
1: Quoth, and is also not totally wrong.
0: I mean, he's not trying to control her. He doesn't think of it that way, but he is, you know, he does have ideas about the way she should live her life that maybe she wouldn't agree with. I don't necessarily think that's the same thing. Um, and frankly, in the case of maybe you shouldn't sing this song because it'll get you killed by supernatural demons, that is an instance where I think, uh, you know, asserting some kind of control over another person would be justified in the same way that pulling a child back from running into the road with full of speeding cars is justified. And therein lies the
1: tragedy again because in as much as like, they're both being cruel to one another, but they're also both right ultimately and we understand it. And that's why this is such a tasty scene. Mm-hmm.
0: And like there, it's not just that they're bringing up things about the other person that they know is going to hurt, but they are also airing their own real and, and deeply felt grievances uh, about the other person. Like Denna thinks that Quoth can be arrogant and patronizing and Quoth resents that, uh, you know, I, and we'll, I don't want to get too far ahead of this because this is on the next page, but Quoth does resent that Denna It's so emotionally guarded, right? And like, I think we both already kind of knew that, but they had ways to talk around those issues. They didn't feel so big. But now that they're having this big blow up, everything feels big.
1: When he says on earlier pages where he's like, well, if I had said the right thing, maybe this wouldn't have happened, I think is, is a false thing to think. Because it would have happened. It just would have happened later. And the real reason that it's happening is not because he did or didn't say the right thing here. It's because they don't talk to each other. <laughs> like, they just, their communication is so messed up. Yeah. Yeah, well, we had, actually, we had a, a listener touch on this on a few pages ago that their their conversations are so full of banter. And they get uncomfortable whenever they start speaking honestly. And they have to rely on the banter again. So th- like, I, I have in the past uh, battled with Jeremy over the nature of their relationship, whether or not it is, say, a true love or just uh, a pleasant relationship. And part of the reason I say and continue to say that Denna is not Kvothe's real lover is that until now, they have not really had any moments of honesty with each other. Everything is couched in, in flirtation or in banter. Quoth uh, is more comfortable and more able to speak with many other people over Denna. And that is why I still feel that as far as real lover, not to get into that argument again on this episode, but I feel like, like that is so.
0: I I completely disagree with your assertion that they haven't ever been honest with each other. That's not true. It's just that there are some things, their deepest—and Quoth is bringing it back to what he was talking about at the beginning of the chapter— their deepest, darkest secrets, the secrets that live in their hearts like stones, those are the things they can't talk about. That doesn't mean that they've never been honest with each other about anything. They have expressed to each other honest feelings that they have never expressed to anybody before. But the thing that's really getting in the way of them having a deeper relationship Are these irreconcilable secrets that Quoth tries? Right, he tries the hardest he's ever tried to talk about the one thing that he never, ever, ever talks about, and she laughs at him.
1: Which, as I said, is the thing he's always feared the most. Well, exactly. Like that's that's what turns it into
0: like a nasty fight rather than like like that's that's the point of no return.
1: Yes, and that's what and like Dena looking at it from Denna's perspective, she probably doesn't understand what's going on really. And I mean, it's it's become a nasty fight and it just turns into a screaming match now. But this is why I find it very easy to like side with Denna and why it's such a tragic scene because looking at it from her perspective, she does not understand at all why he's reacting this way and has no reason. There's no reason she would understand.
0: Yeah, and yeah, that's where the like the tragedy comes from, I think, because You know, as Jordana would perhaps agree, if we could sit these characters down and shake them both by the soldiers and go, no, listen to what the other person is saying for like two seconds. Consider that they might be telling you the truth here for two seconds. Yes, tell me your backstory. (laughs) (laughs) Become a flashback episode where we see
1: your backstory. We have a brief letter from our magical friend, John, who writes on page 447. Hail, long time no right. I've still been listening, but haven't had much to write about. Until now. From page 447, quote, I decided to dub the room with the good chairs my Lutery, or perhaps my performatory. And yet, no mention of, quote, naming. Hmm.
0: That's the letter. <laughs> well, <Please. laughs> Sorry. We all know that I don't believe that he's naming unless he's capital N naming. So, you know. Giving something a name is not the same as naming it, in my opinion.
1: <laughs> no, but it's perhaps practice.
0: Hmm. I there is one other thing I wanted to bring out about uh, the the page we just read, which is that it reminds me of like scenes in plays uh and i mean you you get this in like tv and movies too but it's like one of those moments where like you all you need to create drama is two characters that the audience understands deeply and who understand each other deeply and who have an irreconcilable difference that just brings up all the things in their relationship that are wrong uh and the closest comparison i can come to like off the top of my head there's a scene in the final episode of the fourth season of the Sopranos where Tony and Carmela have like a big screaming, ugly fight. That's like basically the whole episode and it works so well because those actors are so good. And because everything they say in the fight is something that you can look at from earlier in the show. And like either it's part of their characters that we recognize that like Tony is a big whiny baby essentially or it's something that these characters like know about each other. Like they, they know all the ways to hurt each other because they've been married for so long. And that's that was really on my mind while I was reading this scene. So what you're saying is book three will be cut to black? Uh, I would not be surprised if it had a similarly somewhat ambivalent ending to season six of The Sopranos. <laughs> Spoilers for season six of The Sopranos, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you know, I feel like the statute of limitations on that one has expired. Yeah, hasn't The Sopranos been out for like decades? I'm pretty sure season six aired in like 2006. So that's, that's like 15 years you've got to catch up. I mean, if you haven't seen The Sopranos, you really should. It's like one of the, truly one of the great achievements of American television.
1: Yeah, I definitely haven't seen it, but that might also be because the last episode aired when I was in grade nine, ten. <laughs> well, listeners, we will spoil another Trudina, beloved piece of Americana this this on tomorrow's episode of page of the, the... Way.